Welcome to Whole Brain Teaching, the podcast. Join your host, Rhonda Arl and Laura Forehand. We want to help you as teachers reach your full potential by keeping you up to date with all the latest and best Whole Brain Teaching strategies. Whole Brain Teaching is a grassroots educational reform movement founded by Coach Chris Biffle, Jay Vanderfin, and Chris Rexstad. Whole Brain Teaching's goal is to create peaceful classrooms through orderly fun. To support the podcast, please like and share with other teachers. Thank you for listening and enjoy the podcast. And now, here are Laura and Rhonda. Welcome to Whole Brain Teaching, the podcast. I'm Laura Forehand, Advanced Certified Whole Brain Teaching Instructor, and we are back in studio, if you will, recording another podcast. It's been a while, but I'm here with my wonderful friend, Rhonda, so I'll let you introduce yourself. Hello, everyone. I'm Rhonda Arlt. I'm an Advanced Platinum Certified Instructor as well. And I teach out in Goddard, Kansas, second grade. Yes. And we are so excited to have executive board member Andre Hotel back on the podcast with us this week. Andre was with us on episode 15, where he talked to us about beloved rascals. He joined us again on a later episode to discuss creating a no fear classroom. Both episodes are full of amazing tips, so go back and check those episodes out if you haven't already. We can't wait to dive into today's conversation, but before we do, welcome to the podcast, Andre. Well, thanks for having me back on, and thank the both of you for continuing to pour so much of yourselves into spreading whole brain teaching through this podcast. I am such a huge fan of this platform, so thanks for having me. Well, thank you for that. We really appreciate it. Now, I just kind of wanted to dive into your professionalism a little bit, your professional career. You've kind of shifted gears this year. Are you in the classroom at all this year? So currently, I'm at an elementary school serving as an assistant administrator, primarily working with um, our students um, with behavior and um, also supporting teachers in the classroom with classroom management Um, So it's definitely a different experience from the classroom. I'm learning so much and I really love what I'm doing. Well, good. Now, is it, has it been an adjustment going to at the elementary level? Absolutely. So I spent (laughs) most of my teaching career in the secondary setting. Um, So yeah, like just the other day, I'm, you know, doing cafeteria duty and this little (laughs) guy out of nowhere gives me this waist hug. And I feel like this wetness all over me. And I'm like, what just happened? He's just finished lunch, right? And his mashed potato residue has gotten (laughs) all over my clothes. And I'm like, you know what? This is okay. I will take this mashed potato hug any day. So yeah, that's definitely um, a unique experience for elementary. That was your official initiation into elementary education. There it is. Uh, Well, as Rhonda said, we are very excited to have you back, Andre, and we know this will not be the last time. That is our big hope, that this will not be the last time that you're on the podcast. We we have wanted to have you on the podcast today to talk about 
um, the bar- parts of the brain associated with whole brain teaching. However, before we get into that, I wanted you to give us just some background knowledge, if you will, about the three minds. We kind of talked about this off podcast. You talk about the lecture mind, the wandering mind, and the game mind. So can you help us understand these three minds? Let's start with the lecture mind. Can you explain what you mean by that? Absolutely. And look, I got to say, learning the brain at my first whole brain teaching conference still remains a conference highlight for me Mm -hmm. after all of these years. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think that it really kind of helps understand a lot of the why behind whole brain teaching and the strategies that we're using in the classroom. So a good place to start to kind of develop that understanding is with lecture mind. So to understand lecture mind, let's first paint a setting, um, a traditional classroom setting. Okay. Mm -hmm. So let's say you walk into a stark white classroom, fluorescent lights are flickering (laughs) and cling to the wall are probably a couple of inspirational pun posters using kittens. You know, you've all seen those. Right. (laughs) And the students are all in rows facing the board. Many have their elbows locked in their desks desperately trying to hold up their head to prevent it from crashing down. You know, we've all been there. And the teacher is standing in the front of the class, obviously wearing a houndstooth sweater vest. And students are all facing the teacher, listening to lecture. You got what I'm going for here, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So as the teacher is talking, 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 it's all going into a very small area of the brain, Wernicke's area. And that's above the left temple. So very little learning is actually going on. And we know this, we know this so well, just look at our college transcript. From our college experience, we know that lecture doesn't do a very good job at producing those long-term memories. Mm -hmm. Because if we look at our transcript, we have these faint memories of so many of those courses, like statistical economics. Like, what does that even mean? I don't even know what those two words mean separately, let alone mashing them together. Now, here is a big point. When we say that during lecture, that Wernicke's area is activated, we don't mean that nothing else is going on in any other part of the brain. In fact, the rest of the brain is at war with lecture. Because the kid is thinking about um, what's for lunch? Mm -hmm. Where did Erica get her new shoes? Why is Bobby's mask always wet? No, really. (laughs) And how many likes and new subscribers did I get last night? Mm. They are moving around in their seat. They're tapping their pencil. Emotions are going up and down. This is why the longer we talk, you know what I'm going to say here, the more kids we lose. Mm -hmm. And I think that is... That's got to be a universal, a universal truth by now. So talking to kids doesn't quiet the brain. All those brain areas are in rebellion in some ways against that little learning that's occurring in Wernicke's area. So that's kind of lecture brain. That is such an important point. I, I had never thought about how, you know, we think we've got their whole brain engaged just by lecturing to them. But in reality, these other parts, like you said, are at war with that one part of the brain and kids. And we've seen it. We've all seen it in our classroom. So that's such a great point. Mm -hmm. So what do you mean when you say wondering mind? I'm really um, excited to hear your explanation about this because I feel like there's several students in my class with this wandering wandering mind, excuse me. So what does a, a wandering mind look like in a typical classroom? 
Yeah. So the best way to describe Wandering Mind is sort of using this, this terrifying moment we have almost likely experienced. All right. So this terrifying moment usually hits us at a stop sign or a traffic light. Okay. You know, when you were leaving your house in the morning and you're heading to school and you remember backing out of your driveway (laughs) and all of a sudden, like 10 minutes later, you find yourself at a traffic light Mm. asking yourself, how did I get here Mm. in this physical space? Did I get teleported here or did I actually respond to those three traffic lights I went through? (laughs) And you really hope you did, right? It's terrifying. Mm -hmm. So what's going on? Well, right there, that's an example of the wandering mind. The technical term for this is default mode network, Mm. default mode network. The default mode of the brain is to be task unrelated. So The task of driving to school, that's your task, right? But the brain was too busy engaging in these task unrelated thoughts. Let's call it tutting for fun, right? Mm -hmm. And that's why we have this faint memory of our commute to school. So yeah, um, that's a little kind of example of wandering mind and how it works. Now, wandering mind explains that our brain is never truly at rest even when it's resting. And those vivid hallucinations at night, our dreams are also task unrelated thoughts. Sleeping is the task, but here goes the brain seeking that stimulation all day and all night. Now, back in the classroom, during lecture, it is so easy to produce those task unrelated thoughts. And here is a phenomenon that I think every teacher can identify with. Bodies present, brains absent. Mm-hmm. We have a kid in the front of class. They're even giving us eye contact during us to us as we teach, mm-hmm. maybe even nodding their head as though they're showing you they are with you. Now, what's happening could be that kid is already planning their next TikTok video. Um, and meanwhile, you're getting a whole different vibe from this kid that they're really connected in your lesson. So the brain in its default mode can plug its own ears clouds its own seeing and does whatever it wants to do. Now, it is important to know that wandering mind is not bad. This is the brain's normal state. And in certain situations, you can think of new thoughts, new ideas. You can even be reflective and imaginative. So wandering mind gives you a sense of self. Um, Again, it's the natural state of mind. What is unnatural is to be task focused. And guess what we do in the classroom? We give students task after task after task. Now, sometimes our lesson will hold a space for the wondering mind. When um, we have students journaling or brainstorming, seeking solutions, those are all great examples of when we sort of um, lean into the wondering mind. Mm-hmm. That makes me think about those times where I've had my kids like in front of me and I feel like I'm giving like this great lesson or whatever. And they, like you said, they seem like they're really paying attention to me. And then I'll ask some question about the story I just read and they raise their hand and I'm thinking, yes, Johnny's got it. And Johnny's like, I went to my grandma's house this weekend and we played outside, you know, I mean, something that has nothing to do with the story. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming his mind was wandering while I was, thinking I was giving this amazing, you know, lecturing lesson, I guess, if you will. 
That is a classroom reality for sure. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. We've talked about the two types of minds so far, but now we're to the game mind. So what do you mean when you say game mind and what does that look like in the classroom? All right. So remember wandering mind is task unrelated thoughts okay. and game mind is going to be task focused. Mm-hmm. So to get the brain to be task focused in a way, the wandering mind needs to sort of um, take a backseat, at least temporarily to allow for these brain areas to sustain that attention on the task at hand. Um, so the good news here is the brain is capable of being task focused. That's great, right? Mm-hmm. In fact, um, it only requires about a 5% boost in brain energy to move out of the wandering mind into game mind or task focused. That's more good news. So only 5% more brain energy is required to be task focused. So this means going from wandering mind, let's say task unrelated thoughts, to solving a complex math problem only takes a 5% increase in brain energy. And we'll look at the success of video game play. Mm-hmm. It's unparalleled. This is why kids can go fortnighting until 3 a.m. That's hours and hours of gaming. That's hours and hours of task-focused energy. And this doesn't require enormous amounts of energy. And if it did, the kids would probably burn out on Fortnite in 10 or 15 minutes, right? Because they're exhausted mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. But when a kid is handed a video game, we observe Instantly, all this brain energy that was wandering around in the mind, going into this um, mental vortex where they have to be able to destroy the boss zombie, right? And that's important <laughs> work. Um, so we don't want to add a zombie apocalypse to the world right now. That's, that would be no good. So here is the multi-billion dollar video game industry's um, top secret, if you will. What makes their most successful games is a game that captivates the whole brain during that gaming experience to a point where there is really no mental area left over to think of anything else. Not even basic biological functions like they're eating, they're sleeping, and even the potty room, right? So that's game mind. Okay. So how does that then lead us into what, what our topic is today, the, the whole brain teaching mind? Um, when we start talking about the different parts of the brain. So first of all, can you tell us like, what are those areas of the brain that we want to have activated? um, If we're going to have that game mind, that that mind that's not wandering, that's very task oriented in our classroom, what are the different parts that we want to see activated? Absolutely. So just as in game mind, we see lots of different parts of the brain activated. And so we're going to kind of walk through each brain area and kind of talk about its function and how it kind of relates to the whole brain teaching mind, if you will, in the classroom. Okay. So y'all want to start with the prefrontal cortex? Yeah, let's start there. Let's start with the prefrontal cortex. So um, if we clasp our hands together, we can sort of make a brain model. And if we move or waggle our two pinky fingers Um, that area makes up our prefrontal cortex, the front of our brain. Mm -hmm. Now, this area is absolutely critical for learning and sense-making. It's sort of considered our boss of the brain, and it makes all of our decisions, the good ones, the bad ones, and everything in between. Now, this is another big point. 
the prefrontal cortex is our reasoning center. Now, if a child is under stress or has experienced some trauma in his or her life, this impacts the functioning of their prefrontal cortex. Um, when the brain senses stress, what it does is it has this survival strategy and it shuts down the higher centers of the brain in favor of those lower centers, which is where we access our survival mode. Mm -hmm. So when the prefrontal cortex is compromised, so is learning. And the ability to rationalize our thinking um, is also compromised, which can lead to some poor choices, certainly mm -hmm. in the classroom. Okay, so um, get this, stressed or not, the prefrontal cortex does not fully develop until the early 20s. Oh, so wow. the decision-making part of our brain isn't fully developed until decades after we are born. Now, we chose a profession, okay? maybe responded to a calling that encloses us, Rhonda and Laura, in a classroom with 20 to 30 underdeveloped prefrontal cortices. All right, let's, mm -hmm. let's sit with that for a second. Um, so yeah, that's kind of scary. <laughs> so we have this prefrontal cortex, which we're realizing is important. What about the motor cortex? What is the, where is the motor cortex located and how does whole brain teaching help us activate this area of the brain? Right. So looking at our brain model again, um, we, if we were to kind of lift the top fingers, that's going to resemble our motor cortex area. Our motor cortex controls all of our movements. Um, and it happens to be a very reliable part of our brain because it can retain memories for decades. Now, let's say you, um, you learn to ride a bike when you're seven years old and later in your life, you've got some grandkids that come over and say, grandma, grandpa, get on my bike. I want to see you ride it. And of course you don't want to disappoint them. So you get on the bike and you are a little wobbly at first, but your motor memories figure out that pedaling, that steering, um, and that balancing synergy pretty quickly. Um, or even think of this example, when you first began to write your name as a young child, the amount of intense focus it took to form those letters with your pencil using your motor skills. And if you have more than five letters in your name, well, guess what? You're probably spending, you know, at least half the day trying to write your name, right? Um, now, if I say write your name right now, it's almost this thoughtless automatic action. You scribble it down like that. That's the power of the motor cortex. It is strongly linked in our learning experiences. Now, how can we apply the power of the motor cortex in our classroom? Well, through the use of gestures is a big way. Using um, our brainies, taking your major concepts or major uh, vocab and kind of linking them with these physical movements helps the brain to kind of understand. And sometimes they're very abstract ideas. But by using those gestures, we can sort of make them more concrete. Um, and not to mention, our kids are getting that good oxygen and blood flow as they're moving around in the classroom. And that's important for their learning as well. Absolutely. I love that whole brain teaching allows students to get up and move. They're not sitting there at that like we were talking about earlier in the podcast. So we've got the prefrontal cortex that you talked about, the motor cortex. So if we keep moving through a, a brain lesson, if you will, let's move on to the visual cortex. Where can this area of the brain be found 
and what whole brain teaching strategies help us tap into this area of the brain? All right. So going back to that brain model, um, if we waggle our thumbs, that would be the back of the brain, which represents our visual cortex. So our visual cortex controls our sight production. And get this, the visual cortex makes up one third of the brain mass. Mm -hmm. That's huge. Mm -hmm. So if students aren't looking at the target, at least some of the time, that's a third of their brain not fully involved in the learning. Um, now, Lakidra actually helped me become enlightened here mm -hmm. in the inclusive episode she did, where mm -hmm. she informs us that students with visual impairments need to be given that explicit description of those gestures that we are using, right? which is very important to keep in mind when um, we're kind of being intentional um, in our classrooms with the visuals we're using. Mm -hmm. Um, here's a great example I love to kind of um, express when we're talking about the visual cortex. It really kind of helps solidify the importance of the visual cortex. So imagine that you're strolling down um, the motherland, Target, right? And you're in an aisle. And in the same aisle as you strolling towards you, you instantly recognize a face. Maybe you met them for the first time last week, but instantly you recognize their face. And as you are strolling closer and closer to them, you are desperately trying to recall their name. But for the life of you, forget it. It's not going to happen, right? You're trying so hard, but you can't think of their name. But their face was an instant recognition. Let's think about why that is. When you met this person, let's say last week, they told you their name. So you heard their name. And that went into itty bitty Wernicke's area. But their face, that visual of their face went into that massive brain area, the visual cortex. So that's why it's so much easier for our brain to recall a visual experience over a verbal experience. So think of the power that mirror words, one of our strategies, brings into the classroom. Anytime we are doing mirror words, not only are we getting our kids moving, remember the blood and oxygen flowing, we are also being super visual, activating that massive brain area. So, so impactful for learning. Well, I have to say, you've just made me feel so much better about the fact that I forget people's names all the time. <laughs> that happens to me more times than I'd like to admit that I see a face and I'm like, I know that person, but I cannot recall their name for the life of me. So thanks for making me yeah. better today. Yes. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. I mean, especially the older I get, it seems like it's harder and harder for me to remember those names. I even had a, a student come by the other day. She's in high school, senior, and she's like, do you remember me? I'm like, well, you're a little bit older now. <laughs> and when she told me her name, I could picture her as the little second grader that I had. So, I mean, that, that was a help, but always interesting to, to see those students when they grow up. But, okay, so I've been fascinated with a brain. I think it's, it's super cool. Yes. But when we were first learning this and probably the first conference that I went to, um, there was two areas that I had not heard of. And you mentioned a little bit about Wernicke's, but also the Brokey's area. Where can we find those areas of the brain and what are they responsible for? Yeah. So we touched on Wernicke's area. Um, remember, that's the listening center. It's not worth much. Just um, ask your partner. And they will remind you very quickly, right? So if we were to take our brain hand model um, and break it apart, we would have two halves. Let's call them two hemispheres. 
And in our left hemisphere, above the left temple, you have Wernicke's area. And that's the area that's responsible for listening. And the issue is, it is a very small area. And so it is also very inefficient in learning when used alone. Now, Broca's area is right next to Wernicke's area. It's still in that left hemisphere, kind of right above the Wernicke's area. Broca's area is responsible for speech production. So when we are listening, we are engaging Wernicke's area. And when we are speaking, we're using Broca's area. And a whole brain teaching strategy that really brings these two to life is that teach okay. Um, As soon as you clap twice and say teach, um, students are now getting that chance to practice both their speaking skills and those listening skills. Um, And so that's good stuff there. Yeah, perfect. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. So we've talked on many podcasts about the importance of adding funtricity and uncertain rewards. Those are need to be staples in our whole brain teaching classrooms. So what's parts of the brain, if we're talking about the brain, are we tapping into when we add that funtricity and that uncertain reward? Um, where are those brain parts of the brain located? And, and just why is it so important? Yeah. So Well, we can't call it whole brain teaching if we're not including all areas of the brain. And so that's even going to include our students' emotional center. Um, So where is that emotional center located? So let's go back to that hand model of our brain. If we make two fists representing those two hemispheres, deep down in each of those hemispheres, we have our limbic system. Now, the limbic system is where every smile, every laugh, every teardrop, slam door, every scream comes from. It's that emotional center. Now, you might hear a lot about um, dice rolls in whole brain teaching and how it is used to really motivate our students in the classroom. Let's see why this works so well. So inside that limbic system is a key area used in video games, and that's the nucleus accumbens, um, which is stimulated by these moments of uncertainty. Um, will I beat this level? Will I level up today? There's this uncertainty there. And so all this uncertainty can release a chemical called dopamine. And dopamine is a strongly associated chemical with pleasure and reward. Um, And it's one of those feel-good hormones that we love so much. Mm -hmm. When we anticipate, let's say, um, eating our favorite meal, dopamine's coming out. Um, Let's say we schedule a spa day. We go for the mani and the pedi. Well, that's dopamine right there. Um, You finally get that new car you've been anticipating for so long. You sit in it for the first time. And of course, you take that deep whiff, right? Mm -hmm. That smell, that smell is called dopamine right there. That's dopamine. So anytime we use dice in the classroom, uh, maybe in conjunction with awarding um, super improver stars, we're tapping into that limbic system, stimulating that nucleus accumbens, and that's going to secrete that powerful chemical called dopamine, that feel-good chemical. So the kid is thinking, will I get a star today? Um, will I get a dice roll? Will the number come up that I need to come up on the dice? Um, who will I give a gift star away to? Mm-hmm. So there's so much uncertainty kind of wrapped around those dice rolls in the classroom, which helps, again, to really produce that dopamine. Awesome. Yes, totally. So do you feel like teachers, a whole brain teaching teacher should teach these parts of the brain to their students in their classroom? 
Absolutely. Um, I actually teach the brain parts, functions, locations to my students. The, it's the very first lesson that I teach. Um, and it only takes about 15, 20 minutes. And what I really love about the lesson is it really helps to demonstrate to our students the why behind a lot of the things we're doing in that classroom. Um, so it's really great for buy-in, especially in secondary. Um, and so, yeah, that's something I always do every year. Um, and it's a very powerful lesson. And the kids have a, a great amount of new knowledge to, that mm-hmm. they can take mm-hmm. to uh, their families that very night. I will say this year I included in our, my conference folder um, a picture of the brain for my parents to see that with whole brain teaching, these are the areas that we are activating. And this is why I do what I do. So it kind of helped me explain it to the parents as well. So um, do you have any videos? Because I'm sure people would love to see um, how you could teach this in action. So is there a video that you would recommend or where they could go to see this? Absolutely. So I believe um, there is actually a video on the Chris Biffle YouTube channel. Um, It's from Nancy Stoltenberg in her elementary classroom. She has one of her students leading a portion of the brain lesson with um, the class. So that would be a nice video to check out if you want to see a student kind of teaching the class the brain. Um, And also on Sarah Metter's Instagram page, there's actually a video of me at a conference teaching the brain to teachers. Um, And her Instagram is WBT Middle. So you can check that out there. Okay. Thank you for that. I'm sure they'll want to check that out. Yes, for sure. And I love your idea, Rhonda, because in my classroom, I do teach my second graders the parts of the brain and they love it. Um, they, they think they're, you know, these are big words for them. So they, they just love learning that big vocabulary. They think they're big stuff. But I love your idea, Rhonda, about um, including a back to school night or whatever, a picture of the brain um, with all those parts in it, I'm going to have to write that down and use that in the future. Cause that's such a good idea explaining. Well, I just, for some reason, I didn't feel like the parents knew as much about it as years past. Um, I didn't have a, I don't have a bunch of siblings. If I've had their older child, you know, they kind of knew how I did things and this was a whole new crop. So it just, it opened up that conversation of why I use whole brain teaching in my classroom. And I felt like it, it went perfect this year. So yeah, I'll definitely try that. That's great. Yeah. So as always, Andre, um, it is so great to have you here on the podcast. You, you truly are an inspiration to so many, and that includes Rhonda and I, you have absolutely been very inspirational. You've, you've been very supportive and we appreciate that more than we can ever express. So if people have additional questions about what you've talked about today, in addition to going and searching for your video on Sarah's page or anything regarding whole brain teaching, what is the best way to get a hold of you? Yeah, well, thanks again for having me. Um, And one way to really find out more about whole brain teaching is our website, of course, wholebraintteaching.com. I also have an Instagram that is brain engager. And my email address is Andre Desitel at wholebraintteaching.com. So feel free to reach out if you have any questions or need any resources to kind of support um, your, your teachings of the brain, if you will. If you decide to do that in your classrooms, you can certainly reach out and I can provide some resources for that. Awesome. Thanks. Awesome. 
Well, we wanted to make our listeners aware of our new Whole Brain Teaching Facebook page called Whole Brain Teaching Inclusive. We have discussed many areas of the brain, but we are very well aware that there are teachers and students who have visual, auditory, kinetic, and sensory limitations. So please follow us on the Whole Brain Teaching Inclusive Facebook page to learn more about how to adapt Whole Brain Teaching to a variety, can't talk today, goodness, (laughs) of classroom situations. With that being said, please join all of our Whole Brain Teaching Facebook pages if you haven't checked them out, but we've got several of them and our Instagram page. Yes. And and Andre, you made mention of Lakidra. And so she is on that Whole Brain Teaching Inclusive and would be an amazing resource to anyone who maybe has visual impairment issues um, or students that that have um, that need adaptations. So definitely check that out. Um, Please like, follow, and share this podcast on your favorite podcast app if you haven't already. And um, we just want our listeners to know that you continue to inspire us with your comments and suggestions. Our goal with this podcast is to help as many teachers as possible, whether you are new and just getting started or you are a veteran Um, who has been in the classroom for years. So we are so very thankful, Andre, once again, for you joining us today and as well as our listeners. And we'll be back soon with another episode. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks, everyone.